Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of React Roundup. This week on our panel, we have Paige Niedringhaus. Hey, everybody. Carl Mungazi. Hello, hello, hello. TJ Van Toll. Hey, everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week, we have a special guest. It's Majid. Uh, do you want to just introduce yourself and uh, let us know who you are and why you're important? Uh, hi, everyone. So my name is Majid. Uh, I am a software engineer based in Oslo, Norway. I am very important, I think. So, <laughs> Are you stuck at home climbing the walls when you should be hanging out with the community at the latest conference to get canceled? Are you wondering where to hear your JavaScript heroes like Amy Knight and Douglas Crockford and Chris Heilman? After the cancellations, I decided to put on a JavaScript conference for you online. I invited my favorite folks from around the web and got them to come speak at an online event just for you. Go to jsremoteconf.com and check out our speakers and schedule. The conference is on May 14th and 15th. Come join us at an online conference that we guarantee will keep you safe and keep you informed. jsremoteconf.com. Maybe for some people I'm very important, for some I'm not. But uh, no, uh, apart from uh, like a joke, I do a lot of uh, con uh, contribution to community, especially JavaScript and Dart uh, community. And I try to share my knowledge and experience as much as I can. So by doing public speaking or writing or like blogging and those kinds of things. So that's what I really like. Apart from that, I also organize a few meetups and several conferences, especially in JavaScript world. Uh, for example, NG Vikings, you may know or you have heard about it, or mobile era in Nordic countries. So I am very uh, passionate about two particularly uh, like work of development, JavaScript and Dart. Nice. So uh, you, you gave a talk at React Days Berlin um, talking yes. about parallel computing in React.js. And uh, yeah, you know, your discussion points talk about like web workers and stuff like that. Do you want to just give us sort of the, the two minute rundown of what the talk's about and the major points and then we can dive in and get details? Well, uh, the idea of the talk came to my mind when uh, I was actually implementing uh, a lot of features in my recent project. And I figured out that there are lots of new APIs in the browsers which helps us to improve and boost user experience. And in particular, actually in React, we can actually, uh, we can leverage using these APIs and, and um, kind of avoid disrupting user by uh, poor performance or janky frames on the browsers, right? So uh, in particular, we have like web workers and a few new APIs like, uh, WebAssembly or uh, worklets or uh, even service worker, which doesn't have uh, directly uh, something related to the main thread, but still it can improve something, which I had an example in my talk and I talked about it. Uh, people really liked it. So that's, that, that was the whole things that I actually talked about in this talk, like these four different APIs in the browsers. Very cool. So let's just start with the first one. Yeah, sure. So the first one, which is probably the most underutilized one, is web worker. And web workers are around for 
quite some time. So maybe 12 years or more, 10 years. It's It's been around for a while and, and all the major browsers actually support it. But it, it, it well... Maybe maybe many of us uh, don't uh, actually cause doesn't use it. So when I in in my I gave this like several times, and when I asked uh, in the room like who is using a web worker, who, who knows the web worker? Like around hundred percent of attendees usually say yes, we know. But you know, but when I ask, okay, who is using that in production? And like maybe less than five percent. So the reason is like we all know web workers, we know that they are cool, but there is something with web workers, the way that it is implemented, actually, the API via post messaging, you know, the post messaging API. So it it makes it a little bit maybe uh, difficult to work with. And so many of us try not to deal with it unless we really need it, you know, in the application. So that was the idea. So I started with the basic of the web workers, like what they are. So I'm not going to talk about it here because I guess like many of us, even our audiences like right now, they know. And, I, and probably they also know that it works via post messaging. Like you have this API, you send an, an object message to your uh, worker thread and do something and then, you can get back uh, another message and then deal with it in the main thread, right? But when I found a new library actually done by Surma, developer advocate uh, in Google, um, the library name called uh, Comlink, he actually re-implemented the way that we can use WebWorker. So it's, it's pretty neat and, and easy. If if you if you download the library and start using this library in your application, you're gonna have uh, you're gonna have like a very simple API. I'll get to the API also, but then after using this API, you will get actually a promise. Very very simple. So you you directly talk to the worker thread, and you have a promise. So you can simply wait, send something to the thread call some uh, kind of function and then wait for it. And then, you know, it's, it's the way, uh, it's a very natural way of programming in JavaScript if you start using this library. And that's, that's the reason. Uh, so I, again, started talking about these uh, web workers via, uh, with uh, Comlink because it gives you, as a developer, a pleasant way to deal with uh, uh, worker thread and to uh, implement in your application. So maybe I should explain two simple API of this uh, library. Yeah, I think a quick explanation would be good. Yeah, okay. So when actually you have uh, Comlink installed and instantiated, you you get two uh, functions. One is wrap function and another one is expose. You're going to use expose in your thread uh, or your uh, web worker JavaScript file. And you expose your function or your object, your services, like all of those functions that needs to be exposed to the main thread, right? And then you have the wrap function, which you will also wrap the web worker instantiation at, or, or the constructor actually in the main thread. And then with only these two, it's like maybe sufficient to start. 
So with only these two, then when you construct or instantiate this worker, then you get a promise with those services that you are exposing to the main thread. So you simply just call your method and then wait for the result, and then you can also do something with it. Like in particular in React, uh, as I had an example, so I had an example actually in my talk. Let me talk about that. So I, I implemented an, uh, a list of uh, users, and, and uh, on purpose, my list of users was around uh, 3,000 like item, right? So I implemented like a sort uh, array function in the thread, and also I implemented like an animation in the main thread. So I showed to the audiences actually in my talk that when you call this sort array, and you want to sort this array by, for instance, age, user uh, by age, you, you can get a list of 3,000 items sorted by age. You can do that in main thread, of course, but then it will block this main thread for a while. Because it takes time, you know? And then when you see actually the animation, when, when you were seeing the animation, the animation was blocked until you get the response in the main thread. While when I was actually calling the thought method in the web worker thread, the animation was working very smoothly, no problem, nothing blocked. You can interact with the app. And then once you get the response back from, uh, from the main uh, worker thread, you could simply uh, uh, set the state in React and then re-render all the like the list again and show whatever user asked for before. You know, so that was that was a very very uh, well received example by user because it's like a very this is something that you deal with it in in your daily work every day. You need this. You know. Well, so actually, that gives me, I have sort of a broader question, because I think I fall into the persona that you described at your talks as someone that I've known web workers for dealing with like um, tasks that you need really high performance for. So I'm sort of familiar with them, but I've, I've never shipped them in a production app ever. And part of it is because like, to me at least, and maybe you can tell me why this might be a wrong perception of like, I have always seen web workers as something I need if I'm building something that's doing something really heavy in terms of processing, like I'm doing something where I'm like building an image manipulation map or doing something really hardcore, like running some super cool algorithms. But for the average like banking, insurance, uh, financial apps that I might work on in like a rank and file job, what are some like pragmatic ways where web workers could actually benefit like say your average developer? Like you said, you know web workers and you you haven't used it, so that's probably was also my case. I I knew that I haven't used it, so because of many reasons. But these days, you know, sometimes when we have these heavy processing stuff, like you say, maybe an image processing or something, some developers even decide to just move this process to the backend instead of like this doing this in front end, right? And maybe that is also a good solution. But, but think of it, five years ago or eight, six years ago or eight years ago, how browsers uh, were working and nowadays how they are working with the different APIs that they are uh, providing to us with, those, with a lot of those improvements, which maybe because of the perception that we have in our mind from the previous, from the past, 
still stick to it and we are not using that, you know? And also think of these days, mobile, uh, the developing for mobile, like maybe a responsive website or, you know, particularly optimize everything for mobile. It's, it's very crucial, right? We are all going for mobile. It's very, very important that we can, uh, for, for the browser, when we are talking about like utilizing different options, including web workers, we are, we are, um, maybe one of our most important use cases is mobile optimization for our users. It doesn't matter what is your application. So, uh, it's a banking application or it's anything else. As long as you are optimizing for a mobile, which has a very maybe, uh, a low uh, pro, uh, CPU or RAM or, you know, it is very important to, to optimize in a different ways in the browsers for these particular devices that users can, can feel like they, they, should, they should use application on the mobile very smooth. There should not be any difference between your mobile application, I mean, not mobile application, mobile optimization of your website and... Uh, the desktop version of it, right? So that brings us uh, to the point now that we should think maybe differently nowadays. So even for very small things that probably we can do in main thread, but you know, many of those may block user to interact with, with the application immediately. Maybe we should hold off those things to the to the worker thread, you know. Especially nowadays, with uh, with uh, a lot of improvement also on top of web workers by different APIs. Like let's let's imagine we will get to it about WebAssembly and other stuff too. But you have also those other options, so you can also implement other things on top of web workers by different APIs, like maybe WebAssembly, for instance. You know, we, we should uh, think, I guess, it's, it's 2020, uh, 20, right? We should think a bit differently. <laughs> so perhaps. But that's yeah. my opinion, though. So I, I, I've got a point to piggyback on TJ's point. Um, I actually first came across Comlink when I heard a podcast uh, where Dasoma um, was, um, was talking about it. And he spoke about how you could use it, for example, in a React application to handle your Redux um, um, store. So my question was, um, when it comes to, let's say, using Angular, React, Vue, all these frameworks, and then you can maybe do stuff like putting your state management in the worker, how does that work? Because when I first heard that, I was excited about it. But I thought, okay, cool. Now there's an option where if my store gets too big for some reason, I can actually offload some of that uh, storage to the worker as well as doing other logic on the worker as well. But in terms of juggling React, I've got Redux, I've got the worker, how could I make that work in, a, in an application? Well, uh, first of all, let me explain this way. So for instance, in Angular, or many of these frameworks, so you may not necessarily use Comlink because they all have uh, some sort of, uh, they own a, a, a APIs for web workers. For instance, Angular has its own uh, like support for web worker or maybe React with the new APIs like concurrent and those kind of things. But the thing is that uh, uh, when you say, how can we use that? Like, 
I don't see any difference between an Angular application or like in this case, an Angular application and uh, uh, a React application, let's say, because they are, at the end of the day, they are a JavaScript, uh, you know, uh, library, right? They just uh, provide different APIs and some developers like this one, some like like Angular one, some likes maybe, I don't know, React, you know, different APIs for different developers to make maybe to, to make our life a little bit easier when we develop the web application, right? So at the end of the day, they are they are they are JavaScript application, they are JavaScript framework, right? So we can use any library. <laughs> so I, I don't see any any like uh, blocking. Uh, point here that if you are using, for instance, this library, you are not able to use like Comlink, for instance. If, if I understood the question actually correctly. Yeah, so I guess in your case, do you prefer using the inbuilt stuff for me, let's say Angular or Comlink? What's your preference then in terms of when you want to use web workers? Well, when I came to the Comlink and I started using that, I guess I'm going to stick to the Comlink. Uh, the, the thing is that, first of all, the library is very tiny. I think after GZIP is like 1.1 kilobyte or something, or even some uh, like browser needs, uh, for instance, if you need a polyfill for proxy, uh, it adds maybe one more kilobyte, but it's a very, very tiny library. And the API is very simple. And I like the way that it promisify everything. So it, it, it makes, uh, it, it is very easy to use uh, like this promise apart from other uh, APIs. You know, I think I like to stick on uh, Comlink unless uh, those APIs from the frameworks, they change also to, uh, you know, they have a similar API. Cool. Hey, I've got a question for you, Majid. Um, can you explain the difference between web workers and service workers? Because I've heard both. I've heard them used interchangeably and I'd love to get a better understanding of which one Absolutely. is which? Absolutely. First of all, let me explain this. The, the web workers, uh, the service workers are a type of web workers. So uh, essentially, service workers are like a JavaScript file that they run uh, in a different thread and a back in, in background. And what they do is they they act like a proxy in your application between the network and your application. What does that mean? That means you you can intercept all the network requests in Service Worker, right? So and they are they're great for doing uh, things like caching or delivering push messages, for instance. So there are different, uh, actually, caching strategies, which I have a full talk, like about an hour. And also I have a book about it, so which we can reference maybe to the chat. So you, you can go through it and, and read about these strategies, how these strategies, strategies help uh, us to make our application offline. This is very, very cool. Or think of it like service worker. When we are talking about a proxy between your application and a network request is that you, I said you intercept all the requests, right? So you mm -hmm. send a request by maybe fetching an image, let's say, and then the request comes to service worker first. If you have a registered service worker, a JavaScript file, like as I explained, mm -hmm. and then this is you now 
to decide where should I get the response? Should I go to the network and ask from server about this or should I go to the cache and respond? So, and here is, I think it's, service workers are so powerful. Here is where you can actually manipulate the response. So that was an example um, which I gave in the talk. So imagine like three years or uh, two, three years ago, there was not a support for WebP, like uh, image uh, extension, in many browsers. So a friend of mine actually created a web assembly version of a BMP uh, encoder from C library. And then he added to the service worker. So he used WebP in the web page. But of course, WebP images cannot be shown on those browsers that didn't have support, right? So the solution was, okay, service worker. There was support for service worker, though, in all the browsers at that time. So it was a great time. So why not using service worker to intercept this request and then send it to this WebAssembly uh, encoder? get another type of, uh, you know, image back, like a BMP maybe or something, or GIF, I think at the end he did, mm -hmm. and respond the GIF version to the user. So user can see this image. This is fantastic. So imagine how powerful it could be, and also maybe dangerous. <laughs> I mean, dangerous <laughs> not in a bad way, because, you know, uh, caching is always a challenge in software engineering, right? So we all yeah. know that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm uh, thinking about caching when I say dangerous. So I've got one related question. So when I've used service workers, my biggest problem with them is that debugging is occasionally kind of a nightmare because you are working on a separate thread. So I'm curious as like, if you're advocating for moving more and more code into service workers, does that become like, considering I haven't done any of this, does it make debugging trickier? Like, uh, are the browser developer tools smart enough to say, like, if I'm running some algorithm in my bit of code, can I, like, jump over to the other thread and then jump back to continue sort of my step debugging sort of thing? And yeah. I'm just sort of curious how that works. Yeah, exactly. So very good question. So two, three years ago, or maybe four years ago, when uh, PWA, Progressive Web Apps, and Service Worker were introduced, browser didn't have a very good support, maybe at that time. But nowadays... Most of the browsers, especially Chrome, they have a very, very good support for debugging for service worker and WebAssembly also, because you can use WebAssembly also in service worker. So, so I think these days, it, this is not a big problem. Also, if you have, let me also mention this. If you have a concern of writing your own service worker and getting to a trap to debug or find out okay, what's wrong right now or how can I improve something in my service worker, there are also good solutions for that. You may have heard about Workbox.js. It's a library from um, uh, Chrome team or uh, like uh, Google. Uh, and what it does, actually, it does a lot of things. But the most important thing is that it generates service worker for you based on what you are uh, telling to this uh, library to do. So caching, for instance, you know that you should know the different strategies uh, for caching in service worker. And that's not very difficult. You can go through it maybe in, I don't know, 
10, 15 minutes. And then once you know, then you should go to uh, the Workbox documentation and start learning the API for how, like, how I can use this strategy. Like, how can I use cash-only strategy? Or how can I use cash... Uh, network only strategy or something like that and there there for all of those strategies there is an api in works in work uh, box so simply you write your uh, simple service worker file and then uh, works uh, workbox help uh, helps you to generate your maybe very difficult and very complex uh, uh, let's say service worker file at the end of the day so I strongly recommend you, if you are going to write your service worker file for your website or mobile application, start using Workbox instead of writing yourself because that will help you when the service worker gets bigger and bigger and bigger and more complex. Then you will find out the power of using this library. There's also a bunch of... uh, uh, like logger and logging stuff in Workbox, you can enable them and you you can find out, okay, where you can exactly see how you are interacting with your service worker, uh, how fetch is working, how my network request is coming, what is the respond, uh, response and those kind of things. It's, it's very, very handy. There's also a bunch of plugins for work, uh, Workbox that makes it even easier to generate other stuff to handle maybe push notification or uh, to handle uh, different things. So I had a question in terms of um, if I'm trying to get into this uh, using workers, either service workers or web workers, um, what's the best way to approach it? So let's say um, I want to improve my application and have a much smoother UI experience. Um, How can I decide which part of the application needs it? How do I go about maybe learning that and and maybe having a a concept to show to my team and trying to get get buy-in from the managers and my coworkers as well? Yeah, very good question. I I, I explain you my approach. Like, this is what I do usually. I put my... uh, I, I, I usually think that I'm customer, which I'm going to use this website. Right. Let's start using this website on a very low performance uh, device, maybe a very tiny uh, mobile device or something, which I usually have at home. Like I have a, a very old phone from maybe eight years old, and then I start using the application. Wherever I see that the application is lagging or uh, it blocks me to continue and work with the application, these are the places that I need to think about it. Like, how can I improve this? And I need to go and check which part of my application is, is uh, actually blocking user to work with other part of the application. So I need to uh, hold, of, hold of those things to the workers. So this is usually what I do. So start with a very low performance uh, device, like a mobile device especially, and maybe also... Uh, you know, I know that uh, we we may have a very high-speed internet, all of us. But when I start, when I when I'm trying to find out where which part of the application I can improve, I usually threshold my uh, internet to 3G. You know, and then I start using the application. 
And then, then that when I start using with those configuration like 3G and mobile uh, device, then I see and I can feel it myself. Oh, this part, this part is very, very lagging. So I need to think about it. You know, that is my approach. Usually I do, and it works pretty well. If you're a front-end developer looking for remote work, then I recommend G2i, a React and React Native-focused hiring platform that will connect you directly with their clients that need your skill set. What makes G2i a unique hiring experience is that they spend the time marketing you to their clients of your choice. G2i is a team of engineers that technically vets you up front. If you pass their vetting, their clients have agreed to skip their initial interview process, saving you time and energy getting your next gig. They take care of all the hard work for you so you can get focused on development. To join G2i, go to g2i.co and apply. Have you ever had any pushback from the team, say maybe right now for us, performance is not a priority and trying to navigate those discussions about when exactly actually spend time making the application performant? Because maybe it could be that it is important, but at the moment you've got X features to implement, but then you are trying to say, you know, performance is part of that um, feature set's um, Absolutely. I think all of us uh, has this situation at work. So, so especially when you are working in Agile, well, you know, maybe a startup, then they are forcing you to just give stuff out because they want to see you, they want to deliver it to the customer, right? And then you have less and less time to spend uh, on your application to debug and find out a, or maybe improve the performance, you know? So... I had definitely this uh, situation and I would say what, what we do then, what I try to convince my team usually is that, you know, we have a very high priority fixing uh, issues for performance and we have like nice to have features. Like high priority eyes are those that they give our user absolutely terrible experience, right? Let's say, Initial loading of the application, for instance. So if it takes 20 seconds to load the application, who is going to wait for that? Or 10 seconds, who is going to work? Who is going to wait for this application to be loaded? No one, right? You, you cannot like uh, let the business uh, come to you and say, no, we have to ship this. At the end of the day, they will come back to you maybe a month and say, okay, we are not selling. So I told you, it's 10 seconds, so we need to spend time, right? So, so we should start convincing. We should start telling like business, hey, this is crucial to improve. We should spend time on it. We should fix this part. But then also we have maybe some part of application that, well, you click on something and then maybe for three seconds or two seconds, while user cannot do anything, well, maybe you can bear with it. Maybe it's a setting page, and well, of course, you can wait for it for for the for the sprint that you have time to spend on this part and improve the performance. I think you should. Uh, we should uh, categorize uh, these uh, performance issues and then start fixing those that they are absolutely important for our customers and visitors to uh, when they are coming to our website or web applications. Just, I, I believe we should respect our customer. I am also a customer of millions of web pages, right? If I'm not treated very well, so 
I don't feel very well, right? So I should have the exact same feeling when a customer is coming to my website when I'm developing that. So I, f- I think that it is very important to give our user a pleasant experience. So this is very important, I guess, to my opinion. Yeah, and I know something that's worked for me in the past is if you can put the put these sort of things in business terms as well. Uh, there, there are studies showing you know, page load times, speed times actually improve business business metrics, like click through rates, uh, you know, whatever it is your business is measuring. So sometimes you can approach it as a uh, like if we spend a week on this, let's see if we can improve our. You know, don't necessarily uh, your manager, your boss's boss might not care about the user experience directly, but I'm guarantee you they care how many people click a certain button in your app that you really want people to to get into some system. So uh, oftentimes you're the incentive of making your app faster and the the businesses like end goal are usually uh, in sync. If you can plug some metrics into it, right? So you have some analytics that you put in, you, you do an A-B test, right? And then at the end of the day, um, it's not that much work to add in the web worker and have it take on you know the most expensive thing that's going on on the page. A lot of times you can make the case that TJ's making just with a really quick example that only took you a couple hours to put in. Yeah, make sure the email you send your boss has a lot of acronyms, like the CTRs are going to go through the roof and you know really, really business it up. Mention Google Analytics while you're at it. Well, yeah. if, if yeah. you can... You can put up the theory, right, and, and put that stuff in. But at the end of the day, I mean, if you can put in dollars, right? This is dollars that we made that we wouldn't have made because it's loading faster now. Yeah, it's the ultimate metric. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you actually mentioned a very good point. Always measure. So even when I'm talking about like web workers and, you know, uh, assembly and those kind of things, I mentioned, I think in my type, maybe a few times that, Always measure, 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 and make sure that what you are doing actually worth it, you know? So you just don't do it because you've heard that this is awesome, this is cool, you know? You, you, should, you should measure every time, and, uh, every time that it makes sense and you can measure it. Especially in this case for the business, like you mentioned, it is very good idea to turn the numbers to dollars, like you said. Measure, and you know, this is a loading time. We had this uh, number of visitors, and then by doing this, which take, took me maybe a day, maybe by most, uh, we increased uh, the number of visitors to this number, which at the end is like maybe 10% of. Uh, sales or maybe increasement in the sales, you know, or or something like that. This is very important to show to uh, to the business. If we can do this like continuously, they will believe in us, and then they will uh, actually ask us even to spend more time to do this stuff. You know, this is this happened. This happened to me uh, in my previous job. There was some uh, blocking forces from the business side that you cannot do this. Uh, you should not spend time on this. Just deliver these features. And then at the end, uh, we did some stuff and then we measured and then send the report back to the business for a few times. And I think after after a few months, uh, I remember that the product owner came to us and said that, okay, we need to prioritize this optimization. This is very important for business to get the revenue uh, higher at this, you know, season. 
So, so and we, and we were all shocked. So okay, so <laughs> okay, we will do for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting too because you brought up the number of visitors and the site speed is now taken into account by Google and other search engines. And so if you're doing any kind of search engine optimization, yeah, how fast your page loads and works is definitely a metric that they're looking at too. So it does affect not only your click-through rates or the effectiveness of your current traffic, but it also affects your incoming traffic as well from web uh, from search engines. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So is there an easy way to get started with this stuff? I mean, you've mentioned the Comlink library a few times. Is that super approachable or are there other ways to tie all of this stuff in that just make it a breeze? Well, I think starting uh, with uh, Comlink is the best uh, uh, things that you can do because it's very easy to, to start with. The API is very simple and uh, at the end, uh, it's very familiar with what you are doing in a daily basis. So for web workers, I strongly recommend using this library if you haven't used that before. And and compare it to, if you have done that also, compare it to what you've done and see like how easier and better is that, you know? Maybe you feel that, okay, this is fantastic. So I should maybe start using that after all, you know? I had a question regarding um, WebAssembly and how it kind of fits into this um, world. And from your perspective, w- right now, what can I actually do in production with it or is it not yet there? Well, uh, I think there are lots of uh, WebAssembly uh, examples nowadays on the web. Maybe some of these, uh, like I think one of the best examples is Figma, if you know which uh, software it is. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, I think they're using WebAssembly. So, so, oh, really? Yeah, it's a very, very cool example of using WebAssembly. So I'm not a WebAssembly expert, but what I tried to explain in, in the talk uh, was how easy you can start with WebAssembly. Because I can, I can uh, qu- uh, uh, actually question uh, right now, so, and you can answer. When I say WebAssembly, what is coming to your mind first? The first thing that it comes to your mind? Gaming. <laughs> <laughs> Bytecode? Byte C. Code. C. <laughs> uh, exactly, C. Or maybe performance, right? Mm-hmm. It's fast. This is interesting because these are the things that we are exposed to our outer world we are developers, right? We read blogs, we watch videos, and we, we, we are hearing about all of these uh, things around us. Okay, C, WebAssembly only works with C, or no, maybe also works with ROS. You know, this is what I was interested about, and I talked about also, is that when I'm talking about WebAssembly, usually you are not going to try it because you say, okay, this is something with C, and oh, I'm not a C developer, and I don't know even how to use C or how to start with C, right? So I brought it up in the talk and said, no, that not, that is, this is not the case. You have maybe simpler option to start with WebAssembly and start uh, learning this at least, because it seems like this is going to be some kind of future like uh, more and more games, apps, web apps are coming to web from different languages. 
uh, via WebAssembly. So we should know this, right? We should start learning this. And and they, and and the the language or or the framework that I introduced was probably many of us also know right now is assembly script. Have you heard about assembly script? No. Assembly script actually is uh, it's more or less like a compiler. It's uh, it compiles a strict subset of uh, TypeScript to WebAssembly. So if you if you are familiar with TypeScript and if you go and learn WebAssembly typing, then you are good to go. You can start writing your WebAssembly right now. <laughs> so you can go to Assembly Script, simply download it from npm. Uh, and then uh, initialize your project with one command only. You have everything. Start writing your uh, TypeScript-like uh, uh, functions, but with WebAssembly typing. And then with one command, compile it to Wasm. And you have a loader uh, from this library. Very easy. Start <laughs> like using your Wasm file or instantiate your Wasm file into your main application. I had an example of a very simple example, which may not um, have a real uh, even use case, but I wrote a function in both WebAssembly and uh, JavaScript in the React application. And the function was uh, supposed to calculate the Fibonacci number, right? So, and I passed a very high number. So I ran it with WebAssembly and I also run it with uh, the JavaScript one. This is when, uh, this is uh, exactly when I say that we need to measure. I measure it and the WebAssembly version, when it was executed, it was seven times faster, and it was uh, very surprising. There was no optimization for the function, though. Exactly the same, but different uh, uh, implementation in WebAssembly and JavaScript. Then, when I ran it for the second time, uh, the function, then it actually, the execution time was exactly the same. So, why? I mean... People ask me in, in the room, like when I was talking, why is that the case? So we thought that WebAssembly is going to be faster and also be faster always. And that is true. If WebAssembly executes something in one particular, let's say, time, it, it is also stay in that time forever. If you execute this function, you probably get the same performance or same number every time you execute. So, but in JavaScript for the first time, because there was no optimization from VM for when you are running this function, then of course it takes a little bit longer. But then the second time, when you execute it, there was optimization in VM, right? Like in V8 uh, JavaScript engine. Then the time was pretty similar. So that is that is when we have to ask, okay, should I actually take this part of the application right now to WebAssembly or not? That is the question we should ask. So this is also we discuss in, in the talk and in the uh, FAQ uh, section of the talk, like use cases are very uh, different. So you need, you need to think about your use cases and then measure it and see if it works for you. That was the use case for WebAssembly. I think it was fun 
uh, it was fun in this case that you know that if WebAssembly runs in a performant way or line, it, it will stay in that line. It is always performant if it, it runs on that level. So while JavaScript, it tries to uh, optimize itself, let's say. It was an interesting finding. So from a developer perspective, if you have WebAssembly code, does it, um, so it certainly sounds like you can just designate a chunk of your code that I want this to be like in WebAssembly, whether that's with assembly script or whatever, is when, is like when you run the bulk of your application code, is that just like a synchronous call into WebAssembly land to like do some task and get a result? Like how does like the API experience compare to like web workers? So if you uh, want to instantiate with the browser API, a WASM file, it's a bit of work. So I'm not going to explain that. And then why I'm explaining assembly script, though, because it simplifies those APIs in, into only one API, which is a promisified version of that. So you have your WASM file after you compile. You can use this loader actually without uh, using assembly script. You can use just assembly loader uh, from assembly script. Then when you instantiate this uh, WASM file, it's just one line of code. There is one function in the uh, assembly script loader. You pass a, f uh, a promise version of, or, or let's say you pass a fetch uh, function, which is fetching the WASM to this function. And then it instantiate those. Uh, it will actually do all of those things that needs to be done in the browser. And then it exposes to you the method that you already exported in WebAssembly or uh, assembly script, sorry. Or if you have done it already in other languages, you, you already exported some function, for instance, to be accessible in the JavaScript or main thread, right? So you will get access to that. So it's that easy. And then you can just use those functions as if they yeah, were like any other functions. JavaScript functions. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. You just cool. call those functions whenever you want. Nice. There are, uh, there are lots of examples uh, with assembly script uh, right now. So you can go and find out like people wrote games purely in assembly script or uh, there are uh, a lot of different encoders or decoders for images or audios or those kind of things that uh, they are available as a plugin and you can use that. So there are, there are uh, cool stuff that you can probably download and experiment with. I strongly recommend it, especially as a web developer who you are, you, we usually, you know, in a daily basis, we usually work with JavaScript, TypeScript, you know, or... Uh, so if, if we can have a tools similar to what we are using, it's fairly easier to start learning these new technologies, right? So sometimes we are, we, we kind of stop ourselves from learning because it's very different from what we are using in a daily basis. And I like those tools that are helping us to uh, ha to bring these familiar APIs to us. And I really like them. Nice. So uh, one other question that I have is, I'm assuming that your web workers or your assembly script or anything else, you know, as, as you put the stuff together, it just it's just calling functions. So testing is just like testing any other piece of JavaScript, right? Exactly. 
you may need to uh, like mock some API or something, but testing is like similar with other JavaScript uh, testings. We also missed uh, another thing, which probably I need to talk about it a little bit, worklets. Any of you actually have heard about worklet before? I have not. So I've I've heard about it, but only in the context of um, CSS Houdini. Yeah, because that is the most available one at the moment. (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk about it because that is going to be something very cool in the near future, maybe this year. So many, many browsers are implementing Worklets APIs. So what is Worklet or what are Worklets? Worklets are a light version of web workers again. So you see that many of these APIs, new APIs, are evolving kind of on top of web workers. So and let's, let's talk about it. So what, what uh, does, uh, what do they do, like these uh, Worklets? The main point of having worklets is to have access to very low-level part of the rendering pipeline in the browser. What does that mean? Well, that means you can uh, you can have access to the graphic rendering or, or audio processing of the rendering engine pipeline in the browser, which is very, very performant because it's very, very low-level. Okay, so give me an example, Magic. Okay, I'll give you an example. The example is, let's imagine you want to implement a QR code painter, and you want to actually repaint this QR code whenever a user is interacting with some kind of input or button or something, right? With Worklets, what you can do, you can write your own JavaScript to design to design this uh, QR code, for instance, and then register it with, uh, I'm talking about one particular example of Worklet, which is CSS Houdini, as you mentioned, Carl. And you register this with CSS Paint API. Once you register, then you have access it via CSS. So then you can call this function actually in the CSS, and you can start repainting this whenever you call this function. So I had an example in the talk. So and and also I have it live on my website that you can interact with this QR code without bothering the main thread because that is like I said it's kind of on top of the web workers. So it's a different thread. So it's dealing with this painting. Even though you have, like in the example that I had, I had an animation, it was working, and I was actually repainting this QR code. It was very complex and very fast, and there was no blocking, nothing in the main thread. So the animation was working very smoothly while I was working with this uh, repainting stuff. This is going to be very, very powerful in the future. You can think of it. uh, What can you do, you know? A lot of use cases that you may think of it. Another simple example, very simple example, was to paint a chess uh, or checkboard a background. So, well, we can do it different uh, with the different ways. But one way that you can do, you can actually write your own JavaScript to generate this uh, 
a checkboard and register your JavaScript with CSS Paint and then call this to the body, for instance, with background and the name of this CSS Paint. And then you will get this checkboard in the background, which is actually rendering in a different thread. So we this is this is very powerful, very, very interesting. But unfortunately, many browsers right now don't support it. CSS Houdini or Paint uh, Worklet, it's they it it has a better support in the different browsers. That's why we are uh, hearing about this API uh, more and more. But other worklets, uh, we have four different uh, worklets. We have Paint, CSS Houdini, as I've just explained, Animation, Layout, and Audio worklets. So, but the rest are they don't have a good support. It's only Chrome, I think, right now, or maybe Edge new version because it's also based on the Chrome. But the rest of the browsers, they don't have a good support uh, for these APIs. But what I know is that they are working on it to make uh, these or to put this API into their browsers very soon, maybe this year. So we should be ready for these APIs very soon. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah, totally cool. More stuff to play with. (laughs) (laughs) Although I I had a question because when I last heard about Houdini, um, the way that it was explained was it's going to be most likely used by authors of frameworks and libraries and less so by your average developer. I mean, from your experience and what you know, is that true, Amajid? Well, I disagree somehow. First of all, we are all awesome developers, all of us. <laughs> so I don't think there is a difference. <laughs> we all can use this API. So while we at some point we all of us can be a CSS, uh, sorry, a library a maintainer, right? We can also write our our own library. So <laughs> why should why you should not use this API? No, you have to use it. You will get actually you will see a lot of use cases for these APIs. So I think we should learn it because it's very, very beneficial for us. Very empowering. Yep. Anything else we should jump on before we do picks? Uh, right. I can maybe add one thing is that don't scare of the new APIs and just experiment and work with them. It is very important if you are especially a front-end developer, let's say, or a JavaScript developer dealing with browsers these days, you have a lot to take on. It's a lot to re- learn. But at the same time, it's a lot of fun, you know, a lot of cool things that we were not able to do in the past, but now we are able to do. And it's so empowering. So just use it and experiment. <laughs> awesome. Early in my career, I figured out which jobs were worth working at and which ones weren't, mostly by trial and error. I created a system that I used to find jobs and later contracts as a freelancer. If you're looking for a job or trying to figure out where you should go next, then check out my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. The book walks you through figuring out what you want, vetting companies that meet your criteria, meeting that company's employees, and getting them to recommend you for a job. Don't settle for whoever has listed their job on the job board. Go out and proactively find the job you'll love. Buy the book at devchat.tv slash job book. That's devchat.tv slash job book. All right, well, let's go ahead and do some picks. TJ, do you want to start us off with picks? Sure, I just got one. Uh, there's this farm, I'm actually not sure where it is, but they started up this service called Goat to Meeting. 
And it's <laughs> essentially ex- <laughs> no. exactly like the name implies. Basically, you can pay and this farm will bring a goat into a, a Zoom call for you, essentially. And they have a rate they charge for this uh, a goat to show up. And I think actually a more interesting thing is they they do something along the lines of uh, classrooms tours. So like if you had like a class of kids that isn't at school now, you could arrange a Zoom call for a class and they, they'll give you a, like a tour of the farm just digitally just to give kids something to do that are probably, if they're anything like mine, going a little bit stir crazy having been inside for a few weeks at this point. Oh, that might work. Yeah, for my kids. I was thinking people were just Zoom bombing anyway, so... I Yeah, I think so. I think they're, they'll take either... <laughs> you could just have a goat show up or... I don't know. Interesting new like, <laughs> economics so like opportunity from <laughs> this situation. <laughs> nice. That reminds me, uh, I talked to a guy that runs... Is it goat milk stuff, I think? But anyway, they make like soaps and food items and all kinds of stuff out of goat's milk. This is a legit business. But yeah, it was it was pretty interesting <laughs> to talk to them and see kind of how they run things with... Uh, so I'll, I'll throw a goat pick in too. I haven't tried any other stuff. So, But, but Jim's a good guy. Anyway, um, Carl, do you have some picks for us? Yeah. Um, the only pick that I've got really is what I referenced earlier. Um, the podcast where Das, das Soma, I think his name is, um, spoke about Comlink. And um, he spoke about it in kind of uh, depth, how to use web workers in um, your application, as well as um, potential use cases for handling your state management as well. So that's the pick I'm going to choose today. Awesome. Paige, do you have some picks for us? I do. Um, my first one is completely unrelated to anything that we've spoken about. It's actually the DJI Phantom 4 drone. Since none of us can really go anywhere, this might give you the feeling that you're actually at least getting outside a little bit by flying this drone from your driveway or your porch or something. It's great. It's really one of the best ones I've seen, even for people who are not very proficient at flying drones, myself included. I haven't managed to crash it yet. So I would say it's a really good starter drone if you've got a little bit of money to spend right now. Second pick would be the show Ozark on Netflix. It's in its third season, just came out, and it's really, it's a great one to to binge watch through because there's a lot of stuff happening from moment one. And, you know, as soon as the episode ends, you just can't wait to see what's going to happen next. Awesome. I've got a couple of picks. Um, one of the first picks I have, um, I found this stopwatch app on for my iPhone. And what I was looking for, just to kind of give people an idea... So I've gotten rather involved in the Utah County Republican Party. And all of the county officials here in Utah County are Republican. So if you want to say, you kind of have to go to the convention. Otherwise, you're just kind of voting in the primary ballot and then voting in the general election. And whoever, by then, they've already been picked. So um, I've gotten involved early and somehow I wound up running the debate. And so I needed a stopwatch or a timer on my phone that would count down, but it had to be in landscape mode so that I could uh, put it on a tripod in front of my camera so that the candidates could see it. And it's surprisingly difficult to find one. So um, I did wind up finding one. I was super happy with it. And I'll put a link to it in the show notes because I can't remember exactly what it's called right now. But that just made me happy. Um, Another one I'm going to pick is I have this tripod. It's a Rift G tripod. It's really small. It'll sit on your desk. 
And then it has the phone's spring-loaded attachment on top that I pulled off of a selfie stick that I have never used. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm really liking that. So I'm going to pick that. And then finally, um, I've been working on getting the word out for JS Remote Conf um, that's going to be in May. And uh, Carl's going to be speaking at it. I'm looking for sponsors. So if you work for a company that might want to sponsor, I would appreciate that. But besides that, I've been playing with Canva as a way to get all of my social media images together. And you can just build a template and then I can just literally go in and um, put different text in for the talk title and the speaker and the you know their headshot and the whole nine yards. And so I've, I've been working on getting that stuff together to play with. And so I've been pretty happy with that. So those are kind of things that have made my life a little bit better these days. Um, and then I also just want to shout out about our meetups. Um, Paige has agreed to speak at our next React meetup. And that's going to be... As we record this in a couple of weeks, um, I'm not sure about the timing of this coming out, but I'm planning on doing this for the next several months. Um, just because even if they start sending people back to work and you know we can kind of get back to normal without getting all the way back to normal, you know we're still taking precautions for people's health. I think conferences and meetups are just going to be in a weird spot through the end of the year. And so I'm, I'm hoping to run these meetups and give people a place to go. So you can go to devchat.tv slash meetup or meetups, sorry. And that will um, list all of the upcoming meetups. I'm doing it for JavaScript, Angular, Vue, React, and Ruby at this point. Um, if somebody wants to help me run some of the other ones for some of the other shows, I am happy to work on that as well. I guess I'm going to throw one last thing out. And that is that I am putting up, as we speak today, the React Native remote conference. So I've had a lot of people asking about that. Chain React got canceled. So I just basically stole their dates at the end of July. So um, if you're interested in speaking, we'll have a CFP open. And if you want to come, you can buy a ticket. And yeah, we'll just kind of move ahead that way. Majid, what are your picks? I think I want to pick uh, a book called Deep Work. You may have heard about oh, it. Book. It's called with, uh, by Carl Newport. So it is an amazing uh, book. I read it like maybe three years ago when it uh, when I was in a different country, actually not in Norway, and it had a big impact in my life. So I still use those methods and I still follow those rules. And I think I could done a lot more after reading this book. So I strongly recommend and. Uh, recommend reading this book, especially uh, those those parts that he is talking about shallow work and deep work and what is the difference. And you will figure out that like most of the time in a day, even at work, we may actually uh, doing shallow work and not deep work. And that's why we always think that why I cannot get these things done, you know? So... Strongly recommend it. Deep Work by Carl Newport. Yeah, that's a terrific book. Uh, Majid, if people want to reach out to you or get in touch, ask you questions, get involved in the conferences you organize, anything like that, um, how do they do that? I am very active on Twitter with uh, my handler, uh, M-H-A-D-A-I-L-Y. So, and also you can find me on LinkedIn. So I think the best place to reach me out is on Twitter. My message is open. You can always send me a message. I read all the messages and I try to answer all of them. So I get a lot of messages and emails, um, but uh, 
I may be a little bit uh, slow to respond, but I definitely respond. So reach me out with this uh, handler on Twitter. All right, very cool. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, thanks to our panel. Thanks again, Majid. Thank you. And until next time, Max out, everybody. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more. <laughs>